Today on the podcast, we're talking about focus. My guest is speaker and author of Do One Thing Deep, Gail Smurden. And as the title suggests, she is an advocate for businesses and individuals choosing one thing and doing it deep. Today, I'm giving her a call to find out why. Do it live! Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, liftoff! Joining me on the phone is Gail Smurden, PhD. She is a writer, researcher and speaker on learning, leading and organisational culture. Gail's message is simple and practical. Stop wasting time, money, and the goodwill of your employees by one, trying to do too much and overwhelming your people, two, doing nothing and frustrating them, or three, doing things that don't make a difference and disengaging them. By focusing attention on one thing that matters, she believes that leaders can harness and direct the collective energy in our workplaces on creating something meaningful, which is good for business and their people. Gail currently runs a practice in Melbourne where she coaches curious and committed learners and helps to build amazing teams and workplaces. Gail, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Shane. It's lovely to be here. So nice to chat. I feel like we, um, we're we in each other's world in kind of a small way. We've kind of got a lot of mutual connections, a lot of mutual friends, and we see each other um, in a community that we're a part of kind of every 90 days. But I don't think we've ever really had a chance to kind of dive deep and have a really um, deep conversation around who you are and what you do. But I'm obviously a huge admirer of your work. And um, so really looking forward to having you on this show. Um, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Which one of the things we do is some fast facts. Where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? I was born in Gympie in Queensland, so Queensland, just a little bit uh, south of where you were born, I believe. Yes. Yes. Um, I had a, my first job was sort of volunteering at a horse farm where I used to look after horses um, and she had uh, the person who owned the farm had a couple of racehorses, so we, we did quite a bit of travelling around the countryside um, with some horsey people. What was it, their question? What do you do now? Oh, what do I do now? Oh, that. Yeah, so <laughs> I am uh, run my own practice in Melbourne. I do coaching and consulting work to organisations and, yeah, really focus on helping people focus on what really matters in their world right now. I love that. I help people focus on what they need to focus on. It's um, I, I just recently put out some information for, like I put out a white paper for people who are navigating their transition into leadership. And one of those um, nine shifts that I talk about was this priority shift. And it's around understanding, well, what are the most important things that I should be working on right now? And how do I get really clear on what those things are that I should be working on? And so obviously your, your work in this space is going to be super valuable for people who are uh, trying to navigate that that priority shift and go, hey, well, what are the things that I should be doing right now? You've just kind of released a, a new book called um, Do One Thing and Do It Deep, which I, I'm so excited about because we haven't really broached this conversation on the podcast before. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what did you see? What did you notice that prompted you to kind of go deep on the the, the work around going deep on one thing? Uh, well, it, it sort of started with a personal experience. Um, one day, um, I, I have a very clear memory of one day standing in the middle of the floor of my office uh, on the 23rd floor in Melbourne. I was 
looking out over like the MCG and the territory gardens and I was just not really noticing the beauty and joy of Melbourne around me because I was transfixed by an idea of overwhelm. I'd just come back from a meeting with a manager who had given me a project, another project, and I was sort of trying to think, how am I going to make this work? Um, I I haven't really got a very good idea of what she wants. She said a lot of words. I'm not sure what it is that she wants me to do. I know that it's really important that we get it done. I've got 10 other projects on the go at the moment that are all important and linked more to the strategy than this one. Um, I'm worried about what's going to happen to those projects if I have to start pushing them back and I'll start to lose momentum on those. And I was just feeling really overwhelmed with what is it that I'm going to do to make this all work? And as I was standing there, I took a very deep breath and sort of sighed out and just said, can we just do one thing? And then I started laughing pretty hysterically, which must look a bit odd, because I was thinking about a building about two blocks away and my previous job where I'd been working with some people who couldn't seem to get anything up and running. So I put forward a project idea. We always needed to take it to another committee. It needed a review. We had a new focus now and it was like nothing ever happened. And it was very, very frustrating, a different sort of frustrating to the overwhelm of too much to do. And I was thinking I'd walk around in that building too saying exactly the same thing. Can we just do one thing? But it was a little bit more of a plea for anything to get happening rather than can we please just stop the crazy and focus on things that really matter. And I started to uh, notice uh, one things and one thing shaped holes in organisation and where people started to do that, even in small ways, in teams or with themselves, you could see a real change in how they felt. That's sort of how I got started with thinking about doing one thing and doing it deep. Mm. One of the things that I think I find quite fascinating, especially in the leadership space, is that it feels in some way like our job as a leader is to just keep creating more, right? Like most of our work is like, keep pushing forward, keep doing more things, keep taking ground. And I think um, it might've been Peter Drucker has been quoted as saying like, we don't teach leaders enough of what to get rid of. Um, we don't teach leaders enough that of the things that they should um, stop doing as opposed to the things that they should start doing. Do you reckon we, the temptation for leaders is to want to take on more and to want to do more? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, stakeholders and councils or whoever it is that's sort of uh, divining the strategy for what we want to achieve, it's not terribly clear sometimes what that means as it goes down the chain and how everything aligns. And I think things can start to pick up a little bit as it moves down uh, because people are not clear on what they need to do, so they tend to want to do more. And, yeah, there is a more is better and it's just not true. Um, the idea of saying no to something as a leader, I think is one of the most courageous things that you can do. Yeah. I mean, that that thought alone of people think that you'll get more clarity by doing more, but real clarity is sometimes just about what we're removing and what we're getting rid of, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So saying no to the right things, unless you're in a nothing organisation where you need to say yes to the right things, 
So it's not always no. It's sort of um, saying yes to the right things if you're a little bit paralysed and fearful as a, as a leader um, and your organisation's feeling a little bit inert. It's about saying yes. And then if you're doing way too much, and I think there's a probably a lot more of that goes on at the moment. Um, so if you're doing way too much, it's about saying no. Mm. All right, let's let's be really honest. Like, let's peel back the layers of what people are, you know, maybe saying out loud and get real. Why do people feel the need to just keep taking on more and doing more and adding more to their um, list of tasks? Or what are they? Are they afraid of something? Like, what's what's the real reason we do that? Uh, I think there's a little bit of status that goes along with doing more and more. Um, mm. You feel really important. I've got all these things to do. For all our talk of work-life balance and however you interpret that, there is a certain um, status in being busy. Like I've got a lot to do. I've got so much I need to do. I'm very busy. And I find in everything organisations where you're trying to get everything done that people will tell you how busy they are and it's almost a sense of pride. Um, mm. till they burn themselves out. <laughs> we have expectations on ourselves um, to overachieve quite a lot, I think, and to do more, to get more, to have more, and not to be satisfied with where we are, not to have our feet firmly planted where we are and just be happy that we're getting the most important things done. Mm. So I think there's a little bit of status. I think there's also a little bit of ego that gets involved because there's so much going on. You tend to get smaller groups working on their interpretation of what they think should happen or what they believe they need because they're not getting the clarity from um, the senior leadership. So you get a little creation of silos in those organisations as well because they're not feeling like they have clarity around what to do. So they're springing off and doing their own thing. So I think that as, as well as a bit of status and ego, um, there's a little bit around trying to do what they think's best and it comes from a really, really good place, but it sends people further into doing everything. Yeah, they probably be the two things. I think politics can sometimes come in as well, but um, yeah, they're sort of some of the underlying factors for me. Mm. The, the status and ego one is a really interesting conversation. I remember years ago, um, I did a presentation for a, a conference and it was for people who were in this kind of rut of doing more and more. And they were looking to kind of try and create, I guess, more healthy cultures around balance and, and well-being. And one of the, the research kind of studies that I looked into was um, around this one of the conspicuous consumption of time, which I'm not sure if you've read it. It's, it's talking about there's this kind of traditional way of thinking, which was around the conspicuous consumption of money, which is how we um, other view how we spend our money. And so it was eventually early on, it was around, well, I spend my money on things that give me prestige or give me status. And the way that people would typically show that is they would buy things that were rare and they were scarce. And so as we shift into a conspicuous consumption of time economy, we now want to show people how we spend our time. And they were saying that the less time we have, the more scarce our time is, therefore the more valuable our time is. And so now all of a sudden we're trying to look busier, have less time in our calendar, because if we do that, any time that I do give you is obviously very, very valuable. And one of the things that I thought was fascinating is if you go back into the early 90s and you look at some of the advertising around, say, someone 
someone like Mercedes. It was like some driving through the countryside with all this leisure time. They were playing tennis. They were going on yachts. And that's how they demonstrated their value. But yet, if you look at the the advertising twenty, you know, late um, 2019, 2020, it was um, there was this advertising campaign did they that they called the business athlete, and it was a person sitting at their desk in the middle of the night sketching on their table. Like this is some of the big shift we're seeing, where it's like if I look busier, then I'm obviously more important, right? Absolutely. I remember um, a study done oh, probably in the 70s or 80s, um, and it was about the leisure society. So this goes back, you know, um, even further than this, I'm sure. Um, but it was a study on uh, how, what are we going to do with all our spare time in the future um, because we have all this automation, you know, we have all these new processes, all these new things are going to come along, and what are we going to be doing and there was a real concern about how people were going to fill their leisure time. And it's like, yeah, well, they didn't need to write that book. We didn't need to worry about that. Turns out. <laughs> Refill it. Yep, absolutely. You do fill however much time you've got, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, it's whether you're filling it with things that matter and make a difference to you and the people around you and the society that we live in and the planet that we live on, um, or if it's just what I call pointless busy work. Mm. Unpack pointless busy work for me a bit more. What, what, what do you mean by pointless busy work? Um, going to meetings we don't need to go to, um, being consulted on things we don't need to be consulted on. It's not really any of our business. I love that um, we really feel the need to engage people. I think it's really, really important that we ask people what they think. We get a diversity of opinion. But there's a flip side to that where we're over-engaging people and if you want to be a good corporate citizen and be involved in lots of different projects, it actually takes a real toll on your time and also on your ability to excel within your profession. So there are sort of downsides for your mobility as well. Yeah, so a pointless busy work is just like a kindergarten phrase. So it's, you know, when you make people uh, cut up post boxes to put cards in and stuff. So, yes, um, I, I love the phrase pointless busy work. And it's often something that I ask myself when I'm sitting at my desk. It's like, hmm, does this matter or is it pointless busy work, Gail? And, um, yeah, I just have to check in. I know people are going to listen to this and because I know they're going to be thinking this because I think it as well. Because, I mean, we, we get the privilege of working for ourselves. So in many ways, we set our priorities and we say, well, actually, am I doing pointless busy work or do I am I doing the right and important work that needs to be done? Am I doing one thing and am I doing it deep or am I just trying to spread myself too thin across all these things? So someone listens to it and they go, good for you, Gail. Good for you, Shane. You can set your own agenda. Yet I'm working in a team that um, I'm just constantly delegated pointless busy work. So what would you say to some of those people that are listening? Yeah, I think you understand the context that you're working in and the parameters that you're working in, and then you just push them a wee bit. So mm. if I take the example of a manager who I love and adore, um, but she is easily distracted, she's a big picture thinker, easily um, taken by the next shiny idea, and one of the things that I would be doing with her is saying, do we really need to do this right now? Um, can we push it down the road because we've got this other thing happening? So I just find out what's the context that I'm in? How can I be very, very respectful and supportive and compassionate in this situation, but still just push the boundaries a little bit to look after me because my number one priority is me and looking after me and the people around me because if I'm not well, um, if I'm not 
giving my best, then the organisation isn't going to get the best out of me and I'm not going to want to stay. So, yeah, it's a tricky situation and you do what you have to do at the time, but where you can, you just get some clarity and do a little bit of stretching for other people. Mm. I like the idea of just pushing the boundaries a little bit. Cause again, like I think most people think that I'm going to transform the way our team operates. I'm going to go back into my workplace and tell my leader, we need to do one thing and we need to do it well. And all of a sudden everything's going to be right in the world, but it's not just not that easy. You can't just drop everything and say, well, I'm not working because I'm only going to choose to do one thing well, but it might just be um, asking some of the questions that help get a bit more clarity about what the most important work is. And so what are some of the questions that you might ask if you were, um, reporting to a leader that is caught up in the next shiny thing. What are some of the questions you can ask in a respectful way that kind of just pushes the boundary a little bit, helps us to focus and bring a little bit more clarity? I want certainty for what I do. Um, if I have control over what I do, I do have a degree of certainty. From a leader, I want clarity around the direction. So my questions are always about how this aligns with what we're doing and what this means for me and where I can navigate that to get benefits for both of us. So some of the questions would be around how much time would you expect? What are the expectations around this for delivery? Can you be very, very clear on uh, the outputs? Yeah, so asking a lot of why questions. So going back to my um, very, very wonderful leader, she'd come back with something from the more senior leadership team excuse me, and she'd be saying, they want you to do this. And I'd be going, all right, so what's the point around that? What is it that they're hoping to achieve? And, um, you know, is it um, in this area or that area? And she'd say, well, I didn't really get into the details. So it's always around the why and sorting out the expectations, I think, that are probably the most helpful thing. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think if you're in a team, it is your, um, there's an, an ownership that goes along with being able to ask the questions to better understand why you're working on what you're working on and where it fits within the bigger picture. And I remember that there's lots of things that I'll sit there and I'll, I'll get delegated something when I was in, in my career and I'd sit there and go, I don't understand why this really matters. And what I learned over time is when I look at my Clifton strengths through Gallup, one of my high um, executing themes was belief. And, in, and belief is actually put in executing because it's that clear under um, overarching sense of why that drives you to get work done. Now, I'm really wired that way. N- not everyone is, but I, I think there's still it highlighted an important question for me to go, actually, it's, it's on me to ask the question, hey, where does this sit within the bigger picture so that I can actually go, okay, this is why I'm working on this moving forward. Um, so it's really, really insightful. And do you think there's also, if we were to flip it now, if for someone who's in that leadership position, do you think there's also a responsibility on them to make sure that they're being really clear on that? Well, definitely, yes. Um, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes so that you can support the work they do And giving them the autonomy to do it is pretty important. I think a a big focus for me in this do one thing and do it deep work is around supporting autonomy, whatever that means for people. Do they have the abilities and the capabilities to do what's needed? And purpose is a very, very big part of that. Do they understand why it's important? It's super helpful because I think one of the things that we looked at, and I'm glad you said clarity and purpose because I was I was reflecting on an article I wrote a few years ago around keeping things on point, and it was a diagram of a target. There were kind of four elements of the target. There was the top and bottom and the left and right. It's like how do you know when something's gone off track? And it was clarity 
and energy and focus and purpose. And I was like, what's the responsibility of the leader and what's the responsibility of the team member? Well, the leader's job is to manage their competing priorities. Where does this fit within all of your competing priorities? And purpose is to help make sure that you help that person understand why it matters. And then as a person who's receiving work, my job is to manage my energy, which is around how I deal with setbacks and challenges and focus, which is around making sure I'm avoiding all the distractions that pop up and making sure that I've got some clear, some clarity around that. So I think your conversation around purpose and clarity, I mean, we're on the same wavelength there. I think those are really, really important elements for a leader. So the question then becomes like, if we're going to do one thing and do it deep, how on earth do you decide what thing to do and what you should be focusing on? So, look, this works in lots of different ways. So when we're talking about doing one thing and doing it deep, um, we can be thinking about how we learn. So at an individual level, we might want to focus on something we need to learn and develop and we can pick one thing that matters to us and do it deep so that it doesn't get in the way of all the other things that we have to do. We can also do that as a team by working on what are the practices or the behaviours or um, understandings that we need as a team to make sure that we excel And we need to be able to select that. And then on an organisational level, we're going to ask questions around how do we want to shape our culture and our practices. Um, And that's sort of where the do one thing and do a deep campaign comes in because we sort of create an action plan around what's required to actually get the do part done of that. So it's, it's very much focused on doing and on focusing and on making sure that it sticks because I think The other thing we do when we're very, very busy and doing lots of things and trying to do too much is that we find um, that nothing sticks, nothing lasts. We'll have 10 projects on the go, we'll tick them off and then we'll move on to the next 10. And we've wasted an awful lot of time and an awful lot of money and an awful lot of people's goodwill. So if we can focus on one thing, and this is probably not something I I share uh, readily, but still... I'm almost not concerned about what the one thing is if it's the first time we're doing it because what I want to show people is that we can learn something, we can work better as a team in whatever way we think that's necessary and we can do one small thing in the culture to improve how, um, to make a difference to whatever it is we want to make a difference to. So it sort of happens at all those different levels and I think that's really, that's such a really exciting opportunity to give people autonomy so that they can then um, feel confident to ask those questions about what's important and why it matters, Um, but getting it deep. So making sure that we find something that's important to the people who are going to be doing the work, that we give ourselves enough time to do it um, because people learn at different paces. They get messages in different ways. So we also want to make sure that we sort of come at it through different modalities when we can. And we try and include the people who are necessary. So we include as many people as we can in the decision-making and in rolling out whatever the project is. So one of the things with a lot of organisations that I've worked with is we do something like an engagement survey. Woohoo! I love engagement surveys. (laughs) I think they're so useful. I do, but I really hate the fact that quite often we do nothing with them. This is a perfect opportunity to do one thing and do it deep because we've asked people what do they think. And... Quite often we um, set up a situation where all the teams go off and they work on their report and a consultant comes along and says, you're really, really bad at these 10 things because you never hear them say the good things. They say them, you just never hear them. You want to get to what are our bottom results on this? And then we get um, 
a little discussion around what an action plan is. We decide that we all need to socialise more and have more cake and then we never think about it again until the next year when we have to report on what we've done. And it's we never get anything really happening because it's not um, seen as important from the top. So if we were to think about doing one thing and doing it deep so that people feel more connected to each other, more engaged with the work that they're doing, um, that breaking down silos, building trust, doing one thing and doing it deep has lots of sort of incidental consequences. So if we're working on one thing that's perhaps come out of um, a culture survey or whatever, or just because we ask people what is it that you'd like to work on, if we do that in that way, we spend enough time and just doing that one thing, we build a lot of goodwill in people. We show them that, yes, we can change. We can make an impact in a small way. And that takes um, good leadership. In the book, I talk about that we need to run three different campaigns if we, if we want to embed something deeply in the organisation. The first is a political campaign, and I know that's a little bit um, dicey to say, but really if you think about the things we can learn from political campaigners whose job is to get leaders elected and there's a lot in that journey that you can take out of lead, out of um, political campaigning to give us a better idea on what leaders need to do to be sponsors uh, for improving the culture of the organisation or their team one thing at a time. So we need our leadership um, doing their political campaign. We need our people involved in the engagement campaign and we need a marketing campaign to get the message right. So if we've got those three things happening, a really strong message delivered by the leadership that's engaging um, the people, that sort of gives us a perfect balance to progress one thing. And we show people that, yes, this is what we wanted to do. This is how we wanted to do it. We've done it all these different ways. We've bumped into it for quite a long time using different methods. And now we can see that the results are this or that we didn't work or that it didn't work this way and we close the loop for people so that they can feel confident that leadership understands them that we can make change um, that we can trust each other and then we can go on to the next thing so I don't really care what the first one thing is because if we show people um, the process and the benefits of the process it mightn't be the most important one thing you could ever do in your life, but if you can show people that, it really makes a difference to how they experience their work and how they, um, you know, can be more productive uh, for the organisation. I think there's something to be said about the motivation and the energy that comes from moving something from do to done. And I think w what I like about what you've just said is that um, if we can, doesn't matter what it is that we focus on, if we can just focus on doing one thing and doing it well, then it's less, I've got this idea, I've got this strategy, I've got this big picture, I've got this, you know, purpose to actually, we did something, we achieved something, we accomplished something. And that could be both for a team collectively or just someone who's listening individually. Like imagine getting to the end of the day and going, you know what, I got something done. That's deeply motivating and energizing for people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm not fussed on what it is first time around, but you know, and you learn the first time around on, lots of uh, different things that are going to go right and that are going to go wrong. Um, I think doing a One Thing Deep campaign is a great piece of leadership development um, more than anything else. 
if you can get leaders understanding their role in the campaign and engaging with it, I don't think you can get a better leadership development program than, than that because having the ability to focus on one thing makes you able to ask specific questions on how you're progressing as a leader. And, um, yeah, I find that really, really helpful for focusing leaders, particularly leaders that are a little bit um, unself-aware uh, because you've got very, very strict parameters around what it is that you're looking to achieve and how we're going to achieve that. And it's really, really easy to, to measure and then reflect on how that's going. Yeah, I've, I've got a confession. Um, I am an ideator by nature. I'm a creative at heart. And so I'm a person who's deeply distracted by fun, creative, new ideas. And so my, as an individual, as a leader, as someone who's running my own practice, I, I find it really easy to go, this is so exciting and energizing to start. And then it stays as an idea. And I've got a thousand things that I'm working on at the same time. And my business manager is often saying to me this question, like, okay, Shane, like you've got all these ideas. What do you, what's the most important thing that we need to be focusing on right now? What do you do for people who are maybe listening to this that are that creative, ideator, distracted by the shiny thing kind of individual? Any kind of tips that you give them? Um, I, I sort of run between that and being practical and on the ground. It's like I have this line between the two. So I sort of got a bit of a perspective on both. I think you need people around you who can help you, absolutely, like your business manager. Um, I think... One of the things I talk about in the leadership journey to doing uh, one thing and doing it deep is it is it's like a it's like a journey. So we have a little roadmap, and the first thing you have to to do is to decide that you want to run. You know, in a political campaign, speak. You know, we want to run for this. This is what matters. Then you have to focus on going out and listening to other people and what they want. So that becomes really really engaging and potentially very very distracting. But because you already have started with your one thing, you can continue to involve it by engaging with other people. Now, one of the other teams in a Do One Thing Deep campaign are the people who are developing the messages. And part of their role is also to help you stay on track as a leader. So you need to master the message and you need to stay on track. And I think understanding the importance of making sure that you're repeating one message to your group in the same way um, is really important because uh, so many times I've seen leaders who who sort of go off piste and go, um, it's sort of about this, they don't fully understand it and they really undermine the process. So making sure that you're very, very clear on the message that you want to give to other people and finding ways to hold, hold yourself accountable is sort of really important as well. So being able to measure that, being able to look at, where you're doing it well and where you're not, as as well as where your team is and where your team isn't doing things well. And then it's actually doing the fun part, which is, you know, playing your ground game, making sure that you're out there engaging with people. So I think if you do have a shiny idea and you want to take it down this track um, to get to celebrate and reflect, that you can build in certain um, certain supports along the way. One of the things I think that we um, do a lot in a lot of different areas when we're talking about work or leadership or learning or change is that we forget about the importance of structure. And we talk about personality and the need for me to um, have real sort of willpower around this and we need to will ourselves to do it. And we put it all on ourselves. 
But I think when we look at the beliefs that we have around what it is that we're doing and whether it's important, whether we want to be distracted by the next shiny thing, when we think about the structures that we need to take in place and whether we have the agency to do that. So I sort of look from from those three different perspectives. I think the one that we overlook, and this is something that James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits as well, we really overlook the structures that we need to put in place. Um, so I think like you have uh, little buckets of money for different things, you can have little buckets of time for different things. And if we take uh, the barefoot investors advice, there should be a fun bucket there somewhere. And we should have a little bit of time put aside for ourselves every week to let ourselves go and do the next shiny thing. But we need to build in support uh, around our time using the people that we know and love us and um, some other mechanisms to make sure that we've got the sort of structure we need and the sort of support that we need to really get something done deeply. Mm. I, I love this. This is super, um, for me personally, challenging in a, in, the, in a good way to to not get caught up consistently in the repetition of doing the next big thing or the next thing to actually ask myself, what's the right thing that I, I should be working on? When I, I put out that kind of conversation around the priority shift, one of the big priority shifters, like, if you want to essentially build your experience, by all means, say yes to lots of things. You get lots of exposure, lots of experience. But the the higher you progress in leadership, the real challenge comes down to how do I keep this um, sustainable, which is around how do I start saying no to the things that are not the right thing and start saying yes to the right things in the process. So I'm finding this conversation mm. really challenging, really helpful. The thing that is inspiring for me is always just the outcome that it achieves when you do this, when you do one thing and you do it deep. Like what's the value both at an individual level but also for a business of, of implementing this? Um, what's, the, what's the why behind all of this? Uh, I think for, for individuals it's about mastery. So there's something that I can do and that I can do quite well and that I enjoy doing and that I'm going to continue doing. Um, so it's um, mastery. I think for businesses, the thing that I love most about the successful outcome of a do one thing deep campaign are the unintended consequences. So it's the building of trust, the connecting with people. Yeah, so you get a result. You decided to build, you know, to do this one thing and do it deep. And let's say it's listening skills just for fun. You get that. You're going to get that. That's going to happen. But the things that happen along the way are just magical. Um, It just transforms everything that you do by doing this one thing. It it supports your leaders to be better at what they're doing. It supports people's autonomy. It builds trust in an organisation. People feel more connected. Silos break down. I think one of the things with Do One Thing is that it can be anything and people find that a little bit hard to grasp. But actually there's no shortage of one things that you could do so it's just picking one and doing that but the other thing about a one thing journey is not just that the outcome's magical but it is I think the big thing for me around this is that not just our organizations where we spend a lot of time but our world needs us to be more connected we need to be able to work with people who have different opinions from us who learn things in different ways, who express things differently. But because we all have the same purpose, we bump along together. And I think working on one thing and doing it deep is not just something that we can do in our organisations. We spend so much time at work if we're lucky enough to be working. It's so much a part of our identity. 
the workplace for me is a great place for social change. So if we can learn how to do one thing that matters and do it with other people, that can transform how we see other things in other areas of our lives. I love it. This is this. You make such a compelling case for this. It's not easy. It's obviously a, a big challenge for people who are caught up in, um, you know, it's that almost that hamster wheel of like, how do I get off it for long enough just to start to focus on running one of these, um, you know, do one thing campaigns. And so hopefully this conversation has been really helpful. The things that are kind of standing out to me, is like from our conversation, is just making sure clarity and purpose are really clear uh, around what we're working on and why we're working on it, and then just focus on that one thing to get it from do to done and let that energize the experience to run more of these campaigns to see the value and the recurring value of, that can come from doing one thing and doing it deep and obviously the systems and and the the support systems that go around that are probably one of the crucial things that I'm sure um, the book kind of do one thing and do it deep how to focus and energize your workplace is full of strategies and and tools to be able to help them do that I would I would guess it's got a few hints in there for you it's <laughs> definitely yeah yeah So it does go into the three different campaigns that you need to run and just some ideas around it because everyone thinks going to be a little bit different, but if we all know where we're getting to, there's some good good tips and tricks in there. I love it. And um, so people can reach out. They, obviously, your your website, people can get your book on there. I'll put the link to that in the show notes for the episode. Um, ways to connect with you on LinkedIn as well with some of your information, get a hold of a copy of your book. If you were to kind of leave someone with, I guess, like a quick tip or something like it, it's an easy next accessible step that they could do to move towards this journey of doing one thing and doing it deep, what kind of quick tip might you leave someone with? I think I probably want to approach that. First of all, from the time we're at at the moment, if that's applicable, because a lot of people are locked down. And doing one thing and doing it deep helps us find some clarity and move into some certainty. So I use this every day. Like I'm constantly walking around saying, what's the most important thing that I could be doing right now? And what do I need to do next to get that happening? And I think with COVID, we've had an opportunity to really think about what actually does matter. And I think a lot of ideas are shifting around that. So I think we've got a lot to explore and we need to just focus on one thing that matters to us each day and seeing whether or not we can move the button on that a little bit. So one thing that I do is um, every evening I'm, I write in my journal and I have a couple of questions that I ask myself, what did I learn today? Um, what's one thing that I did better today? And then I set an intention for tomorrow. And then one thing that I'm grateful for. So at a very, very personal level, you can think about how you lead your own One Thing Deep campaign just to get you through right now. I think for organisations, there is a huge opportunity to focus your people who are experiencing so much energy around uncertainty because frustration and anger and anxiety, they're all energies that but focusing through one thing, you can transform them into something that's exciting or more hopeful. I think you have a massive opportunity at the moment to use a one thing deep strategy to transform this energy that we're feeling around um, uncertainty at the moment and to make it more positive. Not easy, but doable. I love that. Uh, Gail, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the podcast, talk about it. And obviously you're, you're a great speaker, you're a great facilitator and coach, but obviously if people, um, I think this is one of those things could be really helpful for an organization right now to 
for, to have their people here. So um, you're a great speaker. If people want to reach out when you engage you to come and kind of speak in their organizations, they can do that through your website or connect with you on LinkedIn. And we'll put all the info about that for people to be able to do that. But thanks so much for taking your time to share some of your insight on the podcast. Oh, look, thank you so much for this opportunity. There's nothing I like doing more than banging on about doing one thing and doing it deep because, yeah, I think it matters. Thank you, Shane. It's been such a joy um, chatting to you today. Thanks so much. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.